Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Morning, church. Today's word is from 2 Samuel chapter, or sorry, uh, book, or sorry, <laughs> 2 Samuel 7, verses 1 through 11, and it's from the New International Version. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest for all his en- enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has said. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house for the, from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to, to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning. And, ha- and I have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest for, from all of your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Lawn darts. By a show of hands, who knows what lawn darts are? That's a lot more than I thought. (laughs) For those that don't know, lawn darts have to be probably the most dangerous kid's toy. They were so dangerous, in fact, that in 1988, they were banned because of how dangerous they were. But about 30 years after lawn darts were banned, I was babysitting for this family. And for some reason, this family thought it was a good idea to make their own makeshift, far more dangerous version of lawn darts. And even with adult supervision, I would not have let their five and six-year-old boys play with them. That just seems like a recipe for disaster. In fact, when I was babysitting them, one of them came up to me and asked if they could play target practice. And me being the very cautious babysitter that I am, I asked, hey, what's, uh, what's target practice? And he stopped grabbing these lawn darts and looked up at me and said, oh, target practice is a game where one of us stands with the darts and the other one stands a a little bit away and we try not to hit him. What? What did you just say to me? And so 
I asked them, do, do, do your parents let you play this game? And they said, oh no, we, we thought of it last night. We thought it was a good idea to play this game with you. And I gave them a very confused but emphatic, no. And of course, they begged over and over and over again to play this game that was no doubt the most dangerous thing you could ever think of. It was like they had no sense of self-preservation. And so instead, I suggested that we play something a lot nicer and simpler, like a nice game of folding laundry or doing the dishes or a rousing game of checkers. See, I had a vision of how this night would go, and they had a vision of how this night would go. And those two things did not intersect in any way, shape, or form. And the same thing happens in 2 Samuel 7, minus the long darts. So, in 2 Samuel 7, we find David. He's fairly upset about the condition in which the Ark of the Covenant is sitting in. The Ark of the Covenant was this ornate golden box that held the Ten Commandments, several other artifacts, and it was thought of to be the dwelling place of the Lord. And so David is sitting here in this beautiful, ornate cedar cabin while the Ark of the Covenant is sitting in this ramshackle tent. And David, seeing that this is kind of like uneven ground, says, I need to do something about this. And I don't blame him. I would do the same exact thing, seeing that the Ark of the Covenant, something so important to ancient Judaism, is sitting in a tent while David is sitting in a log cabin. That would be like me staying at the Ritz-Carlton in Paris while, <laughs> I'm so sorry, that was horrible, um, while the Ark of the Covenant, or the Mona Lisa, is sitting in the Motel 6 on I-35 over there. That just doesn't compute in my head. So David goes to his prophet Nathan, somebody he trusts, and says, this, this doesn't seem right, Nathan. I want to build a house for the Ark of the Covenant. And Nathan says, yes, that is a great idea. Do it. And remember, Nathan is a prophet. And Nathan says yes to this without consulting God, when it was his job to consult God. And that makes this whole situation so much more complicated. David trusted Nathan to do his due diligence, to consult the Lord on this topic, this idea that David had. But Nathan didn't do it. Nathan thought this idea was so good, so great, that there was no way that the Lord would say no. And I can imagine these two little boys that I was babysitting in the middle of the night, one being David, one being Nathan, one suggesting the idea and the other one saying, oh yeah, this is a great idea. But in fact, it was not a great idea. Whereas David's most definitely was. We all have these visions for our lives that we think are the best thing in the world. We think they're great. And they are. I can recall back in high school when I was running track and playing football that I wanted sports to be my ministry. I wanted to travel the nation preaching the gospel and letting the talents that God had given me exemplify who he is. That was supposed to be my ministry. My sound, or my plan sounded good. It sounded great. But sometimes even the best of ideas aren't the only way. And David can relate to this. Looking at what David wants to do, it is a good thing. His intention to build the house was an honorable move. He wants to do something good for God by constructing a house for the ark, and Nathan sees it as good too. And we know it's good because eventually, several years later, 
his son Solomon doesn't. But it wasn't for David to do. Building the house was a good thing. But God had something far different in mind that was so much farther reaching. And it was something that David couldn't see. Sometimes things may be good or even great, but that doesn't mean it's the only way for things to go. So in the night, God appeared to Nathan in a dream and counters with David's, David's idea and explains his own. Picking up in verse 11, the Lord says to Nathan, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. God reorients David's vision, explaining that there is no need for him to construct a home for God. Instead, God would provide a home for all of Israel, David, and for generations to come, raising his lineage so high that even thousands of years from then, people would still know his name. God flips the script on David. It wasn't David's job to take care of the Lord. It was the Lord's job to take care of David. And God makes good on the promise that he gives to David. If we read the genealogy of Jesus found in Matthew 1, David's lineage plays a key role. Matthew says, Jesse, the father of King David, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and so on and so on, until in verse 16, David's lineage is linked through Joseph, the husband of Mary, to Jesus. And even later in David's life, he gets to see the beginning of the house being built by his son Solomon. But it wasn't meant for David to do. Had David done what he wanted to, it still would have been good, but he would have missed out on all the things that God had in store for him and for generations to come. In David's obedience, he paves the way for generations to come after him. David had blinders on that prevented him from seeing this going any other way. His view was short-sighted, whereas the all-knowing, all-loving God had a far greater perspective that stretched generation after generation after generation. If David's vision had been fulfilled, there was a good chance that he would have missed a front row seat on the ways that God wanted to work in his life. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis where he says, I must often be glad that certain past prayers of my own were not granted. Can you imagine if God set aside the richness of his vision for our limited scopes? How much we would miss out on? I know for a fact that my life would look so much different than it does now. God shifted my vision of ministry the way, from the way I envisioned it because God showed me a way that flowed with richness. In fact, during my years playing football and running track, it felt as though God was knocking on my door telling me that there's another way for things to go. Rather than the limited scope that I had based all of my decisions on, God was telling me that there's more out there that I needed to see. So after my sophomore year, 
my dad convinced me to quit football, which admittedly was a small step in the direction that God was urging me to go towards. But God's direction wasn't for me to travel the nation running and exemplifying him through uh, the talents that he had given me, even though that's what I deeply wanted to do. Instead, his wider vision has set me on the path that I'm on now. If I had chosen my short-sighted goal, I would have missed out on so much. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to go to Memphis and preach for the very first time. I wouldn't have been blessed with coming here and meeting each and every one of you. I wouldn't have gone to ACU and met influential people that have made a mark on my life like Emily, like David, like Glenn, and so many others. I would have missed out on all of that if I had chosen my way. God's direction from my life stretched so much farther, knowing how I would prosper on his path rather than my own. Now let's stop for a moment. What plans did you have that didn't pan out? Where did doors open or close that had a huge impact on the way that your life is going? It's difficult not to get the answer that you want, but in all things, God works for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But after Nathan tells David all that the Lord had said, David responds to God, acknowledging his limited knowledge and scope, and thanking God for bringing him to a place where his lineage would be blessed so deeply and so richly. David says in verse 20, What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord, for the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. David sits and understands that God knew exactly what he wanted to do. God understood and knew him. And for that, David sits and honors God, thanking him for the promise he has made to him and his descendants for generations to come. Now, I did say that I'm walking the path in which God called me to. However, I didn't initially respond that way. David acknowledged and accepted the plans God set before him, but I didn't. After my dad encouraged me to quit football, I had a nagging feeling in the back of my head telling me that sports wasn't my path. And yet I still pursued my own dreams and even went back to playing football against my dad's wishes. And that decision had consequences. Now it is incredibly important to note that at this point in time, I weighed a solid 155 pounds. That's just about how much Zane weighs if you're wondering. I also have two glorious pictures of me from high school. There's one with my beautiful sister. And then there's another one. Definitely not the size that a high school running back should be. And I have no idea what I was doing with my hands there. It was like some karate chop blocking thing. Just don't ask. Coaches didn't teach me to do that. I came up with it by, by myself. But during the last play of our very last game of that season, the quarterback gave me the ball. I started running to the line of scrimmage. And I was met by a massive defensive lineman. And he knocked snot out of me. And that hit earned me a grade three concussion, which is the worst kind, and started the beginning of my back injury. 
God was knocking on my door, trying to show me his vision and plans, but I was too consumed with what I wanted to see it. One day, the athletic trainer called and asked to speak with me, and when I answered the phone, he was calm but very serious. And he said, Aaron, we think you might have broken something in your back. And I was beyond shocked by hearing this. I was near dead silent. I knew that this would spell the end for my plans, my dreams, and my career. And my identity was so wrapped up in all of that that when I heard it, I was devastated. I had lost a portion of who I was. And when life started to get hard, when my grandmother passed away, when my mom was in the hospital for over a month, when my mental health started to decline so quickly, I hit rock bottom. But I'm so thankful that I had people in my life that were leading me on the way in which God was telling me to go. I was slowly but surely being started gain, gaining the ability to see his vision. When God introduces these different paths into our lives, it's up to us to receive it with grace and thanksgiving or reluctance. In that constant and gentle whisper that God was saying to me, he was trying to open up my eyes to this wider vision that he had for me, rather than the tunnel vision view that I found myself following. God had a plan for my life. He had doors opening and closing in different places that I didn't want to see because I thought that my plan for my life was where I needed to be. But instead, God redeemed my missteps and brought me to a place where I could prosper and choose from the paths that he was nudging me towards. I began to learn more and more about who God said that I was while also still flourishing and finding my place in ministry. However, just like David, we have godly relationships in our lives that help steer us in the right direction. For me, that was my dad who consistently encouraged me and was there for me through all of those moments. And for my friends who were pulling me up out of the dirt, allowing me to flourish, showing me where God was pointing for me to go. God was placing different Nathans in my life to act as signal lights, saying, go this way or go that way, or this is what God is wanting for you. Eventually, once I began to see what God was doing and his plans, I followed in David's footsteps and gave the praise and thanks that he so deserved. He deserved it for bringing me to a place where I could truly prosper. Choosing our own direction isn't the end of the world. After all, just like David, these things that we want to do are good. However, when we choose our own way, we miss out on the fullness and the richness of God's vision. In all things, God works. And what David did in my life, or in what God did in my life, not David, he's not that good. And what God did in David's life, is a testimony to that. David wrote in Psalm 37, The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. 
Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And I'll close with this. There's a poem by Robert Frost called The Road Not Taken. The last two stanzas of the poem say this. And both that morning equally lay, in leave no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that made all the difference. Let's take this and paint a picture in our minds. If you'd close your eyes with me. I want you to close your eyes and think of the thing that's been sticking on your mind. Picture that as the path you're on. It's a dusty, worn gravel path. The crunching of the gravel under your feet is complemented by the sound of the cool spring wind rustling the leaves of the trees around you. This path feels peaceful and good. But as you walk, you notice the path split. What you expected being one solid road has forked off in another direction. Have you ever considered that there's a different way? Aren't you curious about what the other road has to offer? Both paths are appealing, but God says to go other route. Which road do you take? We may have our own vision for our lives that we believe are good and glorifying, but God's ideal path and plan for our lives is so, so much greater. Which path seems more difficult? Which path stretches you and pushes you out of your comfort zone? What could be this different path? What could help the generations after you? It's these questions that help us to discern which path God is calling us to. Taking the road in which God lays out for us is what sets us apart from the rest of the world. You can open your eyes. We are called to the road less traveled by, widening our scope to see God's vision and the different paths that he makes available for us. But when we give up our own desires for what God is calling us to, when we put our faith and trust in him, we get to step into partnership with him, and his vision becomes our vision. And that is what makes all the difference. I'm going to pray a blessing, then one of our elders will come up and close us out. So please bow with me. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.